G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Back today, talking about some of those issues that are shaping our culture and how we as Christian believers need to look at things that are happening in the media. It was just a couple of days ago we were talking about a story as it was breaking from Brisbane in a school called the Redlands College, which is a Christian school which was being criticised for not accepting two student teachers at the school who turned up wearing the Islamic hijab. Jenny Stokes from Salt Shakers is back with us again today. And uh, Jenny, you've been following along this issue fairly closely too. And uh, there are a few strange things about this story, aren't there? Well, that's that's right, Neil, because uh, because often what we see is, you know, a report in the paper and then it's picked up on the media, the news reports and so on. And, uh, and often the sensational makes for a good story. And especially in these days, we find things that are relating to the issues of religious freedom tend to get airplay in the media or get written up as a story. So certainly that, that gets public attention these days. And when it comes to these issues of religious freedom, it seems to be somehow or other that the Christian church is often on the receiving end of the heaviest criticisms. Yeah, well, that, that's right, um, indeed. And we would expect that churches and, indeed, Christian schools that are established with the purpose of providing an alternative, um, and we still have to fit in with curriculum matters, but but certainly gives some freedom to schools to employ people. And, and certainly across the board, we would see that Christian schools maintain that all of their staff, everybody, everybody associated with the staff, is a Christian because that actually is part of the nurturing role. So even people in the office or people in, you know, doing gardening, people doing other things, and certainly all teaching staff, are there as a role model for students. And they're also involved in, you know, the spiritual nurture of the children as well. So from, a, from that holistic perspective, a Christian school would say, well, our teachers and our staff need to have um, a Christian perspective. And of course, you're thinking that uh, perhaps this was not really even much of a story, but because you can find some people who might start to make some criticisms of the Christians in a schooling uh, institution that uh, that all of a sudden it becomes a controversial issue. Well, that's that's right, and certainly once some maybe a parent who's got the newsletter that the school sent home, if they've got that, they disagree with it, and we know that at least one parent uh, in following reports, one parent actually you know made comments on social media and so on. It only takes one parent to take the newsletter, ring up the paper, and say, "Look, this is happening at this school. I've got a story for you," and then that sets into. I guess into a train of events that that means that the newspaper, if they're going to investigate whether there's a story, they find out what everybody thinks about this. So all of a sudden it's a bit of a a poll on, you know, who thinks this is nice and generally who thinks that they want to oppose it. And in the particular case of Redlands College, the school provided a statement and they said, uh, for instance, extracts from that, that Redlands College respects and loves all people from all backgrounds and religions However, we don't hide our Christian values and we provide an important educational option for families seeking Christian education. Um, They also made a comment that we're not aware that they, the student teachers, had any concerns and it's our understanding that all parties came to a mutual agreement for the benefit of all. And the school actually went 
um, out of their way. They organised for a transfer to another more suitable school. Um, it wasn't that the students weren't were deprived of having their, their student teaching um, allotment um, honoured. They, they could do that at another school. So if these things were done and it seemed that that had all happened. But because one parent perhaps um, objects, writes to the media, suddenly it's in the paper. So what they did is that they actually got a comment from the principal of the Islamic School of Brisbane. And it's like, well... <laughs> Um, he sort of, you know, I'm disappointed and concerned, but he didn't make a comment as to if there were Christian students turning up at his school, what would he think of that? So there was, wasn't that aspect to even discuss. They found a Uniting Church minister who disagreed with the school, saying this isn't very Christian. And, uh, and so really going out looking for people who will actually object to the action taken by the school. And, and that's and an interesting thing too, because if you can find another supposedly Christian minister who can be a critic as well, then you actually create a wedge there. And it sounds like the whole church is divided on the issue, which is the farthest thing from the truth. Well, that's right. And so this Uniting Church minister said the actions directly contradict the basic foundations of the Christian faith. But there's nothing that that expands on that. There's no opportunity for the school to come back and say, well, no, we, we don't do that. And they probably weren't even shown the statement that the school had made about, uh, you know, respecting other people from other religious groups and so on. And uh, But it's something different when you put somebody in front of a class as a role model and they're you know, obviously Islamic because they're wearing the hijab, and that that was the point that um, you know that, that that caused the concern in the first place. So we've seen seen that happen. Then the next day, um, the Korea Mail had another article, and uh, this time they'd got the head of Islamic studies at Griffith University, Muhammad Abdullah, and he's making comments about uh, you know religious groups integrating together and all this sort of thing. But you know they're actually still out there looking for more and more people that actually bring the story up again. Well, I guess the upside is whenever these stories are in the media it gives us an opportunity to talk about Christians and religious freedom and the challenges that the nation does face. There's some other issues you've been following along as well and uh, one of those uh, back onto uh, the whole same-sex issue. Uh, Not all homosexuals believe that they are in fact born that way. Well that's right and certainly uh, we've found in recent years Neil that it's actually quite prevalent within the church that, that many people who are trying to get the church to accept that homosexuality is normal, that people are made that way, they're made by God to be homosexual. Um, what they try and argue is that they are made this way. They don't have any sort of, um, you know, we don't like the word choice in the matter because it's not as if they necessarily choose to be that way. But it's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm made this way because God made it that way. And so... We certainly find that increasingly we see that in the church. But there's been quite a lot within the homosexual community themselves that have actually talked about this fixed homosexual identity. People are born this way. There's no genetic proof of that, of course. But it's interesting that just recently we reported on a homosexual historian and he actually wrote a detailed article saying that, like, throughout history, there have been no no historians of the homosexual phenomenon, if you like, that have actually thought that it was genetic. And, and he himself went on to say that he didn't think it was genetic at all. And, uh, and this other one, the article that we've just sent out in this week, um, but it, it relates to a woman called Dr. Lisa Diamond. Now, she's a self-proclaimed lesbian, and she has actually written a book called Sexual Fluidity, and that analysed... Uh, really sexual practice within sort of homosexual women. So, and the fact that they had changed from being perhaps heterosexual, homosexual, perhaps bisexual, and there's this fluidity between that, which which we've often sort of said that that 
goes along with the idea that it's not genetic, it's not fixed. And so what she did is she actually set out to do some more research using, and this time looking at men and adolescents, and she actually acknowledges that she was quite surprised to see that the same results applied there, that there's quite a significant degree of change of... Um, and she, she breaks it up into various categories, so it's not just being homosexual, it's sexual behaviour, attraction, orientation and identity, and there are different stages in that, that degree of sort of saying they're homosexual. But she said there was still quite a bit of fluidity within both young people and also among homosexual men as well. I think it's a terminology that some will pick up and say, well, I need to do a bit more research about what that all means. Sexual fluidity, and uh, it's something, I guess, to have a deeper understanding of the way that human nature and human sexuality does go through different changes and uh, to appreciate some of that depth uh, still enables you to take a position which is a Christian position which actually shows that you know it's not the fact that people never change. Well that's right and we've actually posted the reason we sent out and posted on our website a very good article by a lady called Karen Booth who's a member of the United Methodist Church and actually runs an organisation called Transforming Congregations and really helping people within the church to, to affirm uh, I guess she calls it a, um, a sexuality that's sanctioned under the Bible and so on, and, and actually helping people to to address sexual brokenness and, and you know in in that uh, how do we deal with homosexuality? So Karen has actually wrote, written a very good analysis of a recent presentation by Dr. Diamond, and so she provides a summary of the main points along with some commentary as to how she responds to those as well. And so that's actually very helpful, and we can actually see what Dr. Diamond is actually saying as a lesbian researcher on the idea of sexual attraction and orientation and identity, and then we can see how that um, is commented on by, by a Christian commentator. So that's very helpful. Because Christians are widely criticised whenever someone comes to the church and says, uh, I want help with my sexuality, because uh, uh, this thing called reparative therapy, which uh, is frowned upon by uh, everyone in, who's a homosexual activist. But, of course, uh, people do often want help, and they do often want to change. And there are a lot of stories around of people who do want that change in their life. Uh, you, you've got a lot of uh, detail on the website there at Salt Shakers where people can actually read a little more deeply about this, Jenny. That's right, we have. And uh, just in relation to Dr. Diamond's work, she, you know, a lot of these homosexual researchers don't like it when uh, conservative groups or Christian groups sort of turn around and, and state what the research is. So I've been very careful. We need to, to state this is what she actually says, that there's this experience of change, of orientation and identity among people in the homosexual community. But uh, one of the criticisms she had before is to actually talk about that 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 change could be affected by their history and motivation. And somebody had written that, and that's not what she finds. But, of course, from a Christian perspective, we know that if people are motivated by their Christian faith uh, to say, look, I actually don't want to go down this track, then that can be a really powerful influence in somebody's life. So, you know, that's what we as a Christian community would respond to that, but it's not something that she herself commented on. Um, Dr. Diamond was, was doing that. So we have to be careful what we take from the research and then how we actually respond as Christians to that. So there's quite a bit there but just recently there was uh, an article in the paper and a man called Rebel responded to that and Rebel sort of said look I'm not a Christian I had a very active homosexual past but I found that it was dysfunctional and he said that one of these Christian groups that provides support 
that they were the group that actually gave me some tools to deal with that to get out of the homosexual lifestyle, which he'd found was really quite disturbing. So this is a non-Christian, very involved, very supported in his homosexual life, but found it to be dysfunctional and actually found the Christian groups to be very supportive and helpful for him. Well, people are often looking for resources that help them to filter some of the issues that we face in society and be able to come up with a biblical Christian position. I'll point people to the Salt Shakers website at www.saltshakers.org.au. Jenny Stokes, always good talking. Thanks so much for being with us again today on 2020. You're welcome, Neil. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.